Hello and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Today's episode was recorded on Christmas Day 2016 and is a talk that I gave at an Alcathon hosted by the Paseo Group in Kansas City, Missouri. The Paseo Group is among my favorite groups in Kansas City. It's a group that has and still does inspire me. So here it is, my Christmas Day talk at the Paseo Group. First of all, I want to tell you Merry Christmas, and it's an honor to be here. Um, I think that the Paseo Group um, is an incredibly important group uh, to the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I came here last year for your Alcathon, and I read your history, and um, I was really moved by it, um, because this um, turns out, um, I didn't know, uh, but this is the first truly inclusive AA group in Kansas City. It was started in 1947 at a time when it was a novel idea for black people and white people to sit together at an AA meeting. And a group of people here in Kansas City started a group that they called the Kansas City Interracial Group. That group later became the Paseo Group. And what I find so moving about that story is that despite how these people were treated, they weren't allowed to go to group one. They weren't allowed to go other groups. They created a group where everybody was welcome. They followed the tradition before I think we even had the traditions written (laughs) that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. It doesn't matter. Anything else doesn't matter. So I've always known about this group. I've spoken here a number of times. I've been in AA for a very long time. I got sober in July of 1988. Went to your location when it was in the little house at another Alcathon many years ago. Um, And I've always known that you've been very involved with the community here, um, the AA community in Kansas City. But I never really was. Uh, For me, AA was always just my, my home group. So I didn't really think so much about that. But something happened a couple of years ago where I got involved with starting a new AA group. And I decided that I wanted to be involved with service um, in uh, Kansas City AA. So I wanted to get involved with our district um, here in Kansas City. And so at the very first district meeting I came to, which I think was probably in January of 2015, um, it was here in this room. And I was expecting, um, being an atheist from a new, newly formed agnostic group, I was expecting some resistance. I was, I wasn't, I, I was, I was coming ready for a fight. <laughs> but that's not what I found here. What I found here is what typifies Alcoholics Anonymous and is best described by our co-founder, Dr. Bob Smith, love and service. I was welcomed with open arms. People were happy to see me. And I fell in love with service. And I fell in love with our district and the western area of Missouri. It was people at this group who, through their example, taught me how to be a servant to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm really grateful for that. Today, I don't have a role to play at our area assembly. I'm no longer the GSR for my group. But I'm still going to participate at our district. And I'm still going to participate at the area assembly because I learned here how important that is. So today I want to talk about service, and I want to talk about our 12th step. The 12th step, of course, we read it. Um, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I hope I got that right. 
I believe that that's something that's happened to me. Um, I've had a spiritual awakening, if that's how you want to describe it. I would say that I've been changed. I've been changed in ways that I was unable to change on my own. I was changed through the power of love and service in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, my first experience with the 12th step was as a newcomer where I was on the receiving end. It was time when um, I had nothing. I had no job. I had no home. I was um, afraid that I was going to be going to jail for a while. Um, people didn't want anything to do with me. And I was truly down and out. So I came to uh, AA. And here I was met with love and support. And people shared their experience with me and showed me how they stayed sober in AA. And that was a gift that they were giving me. They were doing 12-step work. As a newcomer, um, I was getting a lot of that. I was taking probably more than I was giving. I would go to meetings, and I, I, would, I went to a lot of meetings at the time. Every day I went to a meeting, and sometimes more than once a day I went to a meeting. And I absorbed everything that people were telling me. And it was a place that I needed to be because that was the only place where I felt comfortable being sober. I don't think I could have stayed sober without, without doing that. So anyway, um, I, was, I, 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 I was going to meetings at the time at, at P3. Um, and P3 um, was a group that would take meetings to other um, AA groups and to um, treatment centers and jails and things like that. They were really involved in that. And also at that time, we just did a lot of old-fashioned 12-step calls where we went to someone's house or their apartment. And um, my first experience with um, taking meetings outside of the group was with, um, I was probably sober, I don't know, six months, five months, less than a year anyway. And uh, Bill A. asked me if I would like to go to the Kansas City Community Center to speak. And... Um, my sobriety was very fragile. I, 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 I was literally white-knuckling it. I mean, it was, it, I, I, I had to be in AA meetings because I was terrified that I was going to drink. Um, I didn't think I really had anything to give anybody. But I said to Bill, I said, Bill, what am I going to say? I, I've not been sober that long. And he said, well, John, they're, they're going to identify with you probably more than me. He had been sober for 20 years at the time, I think, because you're fresh from the trenches. He said, all you got to do is tell them what happened and what you're doing now to stay sober. And that's what I did. I got, I got there, and I shared with them what, I was, what, what happened to me, my drinking history, and what I was doing at that time in Alcoholics Anonymous to stay sober. And um, it was a great experience. After that, um, we went out, and um, we had coffee, or we had a bite to eat, or whatever, and Bill and I started bonding. And that was the experience that I had at P3. That's what we did. We would go out to treatment centers. We'd go out to jails. We'd go out to other AA groups. Groups, A bunch of us would go together, three or four of us maybe at a time, and we would speak. And then afterwards, we would just go out and be together and just have fun being together. And so it was a great way for me to build my confidence as a person in recovery, but also to get more involved with the fellowship and get to know the people at the group that were really, truly saving my life at the time. And it was a lot of fun. You know, we, we have fun here. Um, service work and um, carrying the message, um, it, 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 it has a lot of rewards. Um, but that also comes with some, um, some tragedy that we witness. And I've certainly seen my share of that. I've taken a number of, 
of um, drunks to um, emergency rooms and hospitals. Um, there was a, an instance where I was in a hosp uh, an emergency room at Truman Medical Center. Um, I believe the guy was drinking on the way to the uh, hospital. And when we got there, I don't know how long I was with him. It seemed like hours. And he was just sobbing and sobbing like a, like a baby, you know, just crying in that emergency room. And um, I, was, I was kind of embarrassed, but I just sat there with him. And uh, we got him into the hospital. And I went to see him the next day. And I did what I learned to do from the big book and from other people in my group. And I just kind of approached him and took him based upon where he was at that time. And that's really the best time to reach an alcoholic is when they're down like that. Um, the alcohol was coming out of his system. His brain was clearing and he was very depressed. And that's the time that people are receptive, I think, to hearing a message of hope. Now, I've learned that that message doesn't always get through, and that's not necessarily what's so important. What's so important is that I try to transmit the message, because in doing that, that keeps me sober. And on every 12-step opportunity that I've ever had, I don't know what's happened to the other person, but I've always left sober. And I think that that's, that's the beauty behind the 12th step. I've got to give it away if, if, I, if I want to keep it. There was another time I took a person to an emergency room, and uh, but by the time that we pulled into the parking lot, he was having a seizure. Um, there was another time I carried a guy uh, with his blood and vomit dripping all over me into the emergency room and um, went back to see him the next day at the hospital, and they had him strapped in his bed, and he was shaking from head to toe. He couldn't even talk to me. That guy later became my sponsor, and I became his sponsor. And I took him through three steps, the first three steps. And he started getting his life back together. He started working again and staying sober. And, um, and, uh, but he didn't, he didn't come back to meetings after that. So I like to think that he's doing well. I hope, I hope he is, that that maybe was all that he needed. But there's something I want to talk about, I guess, from that 12-step call that um, emphasizes to me the importance of doing this with another person. When I went to his apartment to help, help this guy, and he'd been drinking vodka for days, the first thing he did was reach a bottle of vodka out to me. And the first thing that I did, just almost reflexively, was reach out as if I was going to drink, drink it. I mean, and, and it really almost scared, scared me. And I'm glad that my sponsor was there. And, I, and I, I've heard people say that that's one really good reason to when you're going on an, on a 12-step call to have another alcoholic with you because the whole goal is that we leave sober. <laughs> so anyway, so um, I think it's important to stay on the firing lines like that. Um, you know, I've seen, um, I've seen a lot of tragedy. I've seen people not make it. Um, the first person that I sponsored was a fireman, and he lost his job with the fire department over drinking. And he was really having a very difficult time with um, the program and um, staying sober. He reminded me much of myself, though he was a little bit older. And for whatever reason, he, he um, liked me, and he asked me to be a sponsor. And I started sponsoring him. And I don't know if we actually went through the steps or anything, but we talked a lot, and we went to a lot of meetings. And I tried to support him and his desire to stop drinking. Well... One day, I got, a, I got a phone call from his father, 
and he had told me that um, that Dan had died. He had run his car into a uh, a uh, streetlight, going really fast. Now I don't know if he was drunk or sober. It doesn't doesn't really matter. He was no longer with us, and that was my first uh, funeral that I went to in AA for someone I knew that had died, and. I met his family and at the funeral, and I remember um, feeling kind of uncomfortable because they knew I was his sponsor, and they looked at me as if I might have some insight to give them as to what happened, and I really didn't. And that has always been the humbling part for me when it comes to alcoholism, that even as an alcoholic, I can't really explain it. I can't explain the I can't explain why we do what we do because it's just pure it's just pure insanity, and I can't explain why it's so difficult for us to not drink, but it is, and I'm sorry for his family because they never really got to see him experience recovery. He never he never got over the hump, and I kind of did. I got to a point where sobriety became a way of life, and I enjoyed it. He never got there. He was, he was where I was in those early days, where it was a struggle. So I'm sorry that his family didn't get to experience that. But I'm glad that I got to know him and that I got to experience that. Because all of these things are lessons that I learned that will just help me further do more work for others. I kind of forgot my very first, um, I want to go back to this. Um, the very first time that I was ever helped by another person in AA, and it totally blew me away. I was sober for three months, and I was um, I had a lot of problems. I had uh, gotten arrested for drunk driving for like the third time in a three-year period, and I had a really bad habit of getting arrested for various things and um, being given tickets and um, just putting them in a drawer and not doing anything and not showing up for court. So besides my D DUI, I had a lot of other miscellaneous offenses out there. And um, I, was on, I had a bail bondsman who um, vouched for me to get out of jail when I was arrested, and, and I didn't live up to whatever that was supposed to be. So I had a bail bondsman that was wanting me. And um, so I, I, just, I was just, um, you know, every time a police car would drive by, I was afraid I'd want to hide. So I, I just, I was really uncomfortable. So I turned myself into the bondsman. <laughs> and I was sober, and I turned myself into the bondsman. And I called um, my sponsor, who happened to be a lawyer, and I told him, I said that, hey, I, I turned myself into the bell bondsman. And he said, well, why'd you do that? And I said, well, I don't know, but I did. And he says, okay, well, what's going to happen is they're going to take you to jail, and that's where you're going to spend the night, and then I'll come and talk to you in the morning and see what we can do. And so he came to see me in the morning, and it was a mess because like, I don't even know how many offenses I had, but they were all in different courtrooms. And he had to figure out the schedule, how to see all these different judges to deal with my problems. And he did. I remember, I can't remember what he said, but I stood there in that courtroom having spent the night in jail looking horrible. And um, he spoke for me, and I can't remember what he said, but the judge ended up giving me six months probation he didn't make me go to jail, but he did make me go to the community addictions program for six months, and they required that I go to AA meetings. 
And um, so that was a good deal for me. And I remember after all of that happened, I, I went to this, this person, my sponsor, and I said to him, I said, listen, I, I don't have a job. I don't have anything. I don't have any money. I have no idea how I can ever pay you. And he said, you don't worry about it. When you can, you help somebody else. And so that's a memory that is forever with me. And I will never forget that kindness. And I hope that I, that I do what he asked me to do, that I try to help others when I can. And because that's what I think it's, it's truly all about. That, what he did, made a huge difference for me in my life. And I just can't, I just don't even know how to, um, you know, that's, it's, it's above and beyond the call of duty, what he did. So anyway, um, that and, and then so much more. Um, I, I talked a little bit about Billy A., the, the, the guy who took me to KCCC for the first time. And he's also the person who took me on my first 12-step call to someone's apartment. And I can't remember what the situation was in that particular call, but it, whether it came in from central office or the person called our group, but we went to this guy's house, and I was I was wet behind the ears. I didn't I, I just like I say it's the first time I'd ever done this. But Bill had been around for a long time, and uh, I remember he was talking to the guy, and the first thing he said was, "Do you want to stop drinking?" And uh, I remember thinking, "Well, that was kind of blunt. <laughs> Do you want to stop drinking?" But he, the way that Bill said it though was from a place of understanding and a place of compassion, and he just got right to it. And I don't know whatever happened to that guy, whether or not he went to a meeting, whether he went to treatment, whether he went on to have a sober life, I have no idea. But Bill and I, from that experience, gained something. Again, we left sober. I learned something from Bill. Years later, we went to a 12-step call at someone's house, and the family called us. And they were hoping that we could do something for, for their, their family member who was suffering up in his bedroom from drinking. And so me and a, a younger guy in the program went to talk to um, the guy. And I remember his family was um, really hoping that we could do something. And of course, we're powerless over alcohol for ourselves as well as anyone else. There, there was no magic that, that I could perform to make him better. All I could do is share with him what we, what we do. So I went up with my, my friend who was new to the program, and I sat with him, and I asked him the same question that Bill asked the fellow on my very first call, 12 steps call. I said, do you want to stop drinking? And if you want to stop drinking, I'll do whatever we can do to help. So we talked to him, and again, I don't know how, how things turned out. But I remember the family, and um, the, the families um, have always been um, the most difficult part because they're the ones who... Um, suffer from, from a place of not really understanding and wanting to help and not being able to do anything and really hoping that um, their loved one can experience the recovery that they see with us. Um, to walk into a house and say, I'm an alcoholic and I don't drink, and for the family to see that means everything to them. They want that for their loved one so bad. And I wish that there was something that we could do to just make that happen. But there isn't. Um, I, I, the last 12-step call I'm going to talk about, and it was probably the last one I'd actually been on where, where I go to a stranger's house, um, was um, just around the corner from P3. And we went to this guy's house, and it was a husband and wife, 
and the husband was the alcoholic. And I don't know if he was really ready to stop drinking, but his wife was badly bruised and obviously beaten. And she told us to explain her bruises that she had just fallen down. Of course, we knew that she was being beaten. Somehow, I don't know how this happened, but we ended up taking her to an Al-Anon meeting. And it was the only or first Al-Anon meeting. I think I'd, it was the first Al-Anon meeting I've ever been to, just a straight Al-Anon. I've been to mixed meetings where there's Al-Anons and AAs together. But this is the first Al-Anon meeting I ever went to. And I took her to this meeting. And it was amazing to see the love and support that the other Al-Anons gave her. They understood her. They, under, they understood the beatings and watching the husband die from drinking. And I don't know how receptive she was to it. But I know that her being there was a help to the other people. And my witnessing it was certainly a help to me because there's just so much power in, in love and service. And I've learned that over the years. And, and that, that, was a, that was a lesson learned. So... Yeah, I don't do the. I don't go on the twelve step calls that much anymore. I don't really hardly. I don't at all anymore. And, and but I'm assuming that they still happen. I mean, the the only um, the closest thing would be when um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law um, were in the throes of alcoholism, and we got my sister-in-law to Valley Hope, and she is sober today. Um, but my brother-in-law ended up dying from alcoholism. Um, but that would probably be the last time, and this was three, four years ago, I don't know, that I actually had you know, gone to the person's bedside and tried to talk to them and help them out. So anyway, I've, had, I've, I've been transformed by the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, I feel that, I have a, um, that it's very important for me to give back. So I continue to do that, but I'm doing it in a different way now. A couple of years ago... I started a, or helped start, a new AA meeting, and it's the We Agnostics group. And the story behind that is um, I had been sober for 25 years, and for whatever reason, I came to understand that I am an atheist, that I don't have a belief in God. And it was kind of a um, disconcerting thing for me to come to that understanding because Alcoholics Anonymous was so important to me, and I wasn't sure if I would still belong. Um, and I went to my group, P3, um, and was very quiet about what was going on with me. But what was going on with me is I started rethinking these steps, and I started looking at the actions behind the things that we do, and I started finding value in what we do, the program of action, and I started to understand that the belief is really secondary to the things that we do. And I could take it so far as to even see value in the act of praying, even if you don't believe in, in, in God. Because I prayed for many years, on my knees in the morning and on my knees at night and during the day. And it was helpful to me. Now, I don't believe that there's a God. That's just my personal belief. And I'm comfortable with that, and I don't want to believe any other way. But I do believe that by taking some time in the morning to quiet myself, to still myself, and to remind myself what's important, and what's important is to not drink and help another person, was helpful to me. 
I think it was helpful to stop when I was agitated, when I was afraid, um, when I wanted to drink, and to recite the serenity prayer over and over and over. Those are helpful things. So there's value in the actions. And there's value in the process of the 12 steps. And, and I'm, a firm, I'm a firm believer in that. And a lot of those steps were experiences that we had and, and experiences that we came to accept. And others are concrete actions that we had to take. But it was definitely a process, and it was a process that changed us. So anyway, I was comfortable with that view. But I, I went to AA meetings at my home group, and, as I, and I, I tried to talk in a way that, yes, I don't share your belief in a God, but these are the things I do. And it might have just been my perception, but I didn't think that, that, but that my new way of seeing the program was very well received. And I wasn't feeling comfortable there anymore. And it actually got to where I wasn't comfortable in any AA meeting anymore. So I learned about these agnostic AA groups, and that's how we started We Agnostics, me and one other guy. We started meeting just the two of us once a week, and the group has really taken off. Uh, people seek us out that won't go to AA because they perceive that it's religious, or they... Um, they just they, they want a, a more secular experience. And, and you come to our meeting, and it's basically like any other AA meeting. The only difference is we don't, we don't open and close with a prayer. And, that, and, and it, for, for us, it makes a huge difference. But, but that's essentially it, really. You know? um, and we probably, you know, but we probably talk about God more than the rest of you guys do, though. <laughs> that's what they always say about this. But anyway, anyway, that's kind of a joke. But. So anyway, um, starting that group was, was a huge... Um, uh, experience for me when it came to service and um, the 12th step because like I say you know that's when I got involved with general service that's when I came to the Paseo group for that first district meeting because I wanted to represent my group and I wanted to, I wanted our group to be good AA citizens um, when we set up our group we set it up to have regular business meetings every three months so that the group would be autonomous and that the members of the group would decide how the meetings would be run and how we would act as a group it wouldn't just be the founders that would decide these things. And we did that very early on. And we still have our business meetings every three months. Recently, we had an election. Um, and we have a new general service representative and a new alternate GSR. And both of these people will be going to district meetings and area assembly, as will I. So now there'll be three people from our group in service. And that's um, from being inspired by your group. Uh, by, by seeing, you know, several people from the Paseo group when I go to district, when I go to area assembly. Um, we, we learn from you. We learn from your history as a group. We um, in AA, I think, are at a point where we're recognizing that there are a lot of underrepresented groups in, in AA. And we, agnostics, atheists, we're, we're one of those. But also, when 4% of the population in Alcoholics Anonymous consists of African Americans, when 15% of American population is African American, then we have an opportunity, I think, to reach out to that underrepresented group. Recently, the grapevine had an issue that was dedicated to agnostics and atheists. Because I believe that the grapevine is wanting to make an effort to reach out to these underrepresented groups. Well, I think the black community is going to have to be one of these groups. 
And I think that this is, this is a real opportunity for us in our area. The Paseo group is actually a group that has, is really pushing for this. And what happened was, I won't go into the details, but there was an unfortunate event at a, at a convention that hurt a lot of people. And so we had, a, we had a really frank discussion about this at the area assembly. About, it, was, it was a racist incident, quite frankly, is what it was. And we had a, we had a discussion about it. And starting in January um, at the next assembly, I believe it was Michael from, from this group, um, had proposed that we begin having a discussion at the area assembly about unity within AA. And what he's talking about is coming together, you know, regardless of our beliefs, regardless of our race, regardless of, of any of our differences, but somehow coming together. And I think it's a great opportunity for us in Missouri to begin reaching out to these underrepresented groups and start asking ourselves, why? Why are these groups so underrepresented? And then, and then maybe making some changes to reach out to them. And remember that we do this because that's our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So when, when we see that, that, that in our society that there are thousands around us that are dying from alcoholism that we're not reaching, yeah, it's a tragedy, but it's also a great opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for us to be of service to our fellow man, to, to be of help, and for us to stay service, to, to stay sober. So I think I've talked a long time. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to close um, by thanking you once again for having me here and for, for wishing you again a Merry Christmas. And if you do believe in God, you know, I want your faith to sustain you through your sobriety, and, and I hope that it will. And if you don't believe in God, I want the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous to sustain you for another day of sobriety, because I know it will. And it's just a real pleasure to be here. And with that, I'll pass. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. We'll be back next week with Ben talking about Step 11. Until then, we here at AA Beyond Belief want to wish you a very happy, prosperous, and peaceful new year. Thank you.